Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. That's the hymn, Built on the Rock. Of course, it goes along with the gospel reading for this coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary, where Jesus says he will build his church upon the rock. The rock being, of course, the confession of Jesus as Christ, the Son of God, and ultimately as the Savior of all mankind. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 22nd of August. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Todd, great to be back. How do we transition, it seems a little abrupt, from the inclusion of the Gentiles this last Sunday to the confession, and actually kind of a truncated version of the confession of St. Peter this Sunday? Yeah, that's a good question. So, yeah, remember last Sunday we were talking especially about the inclusion of the Gentiles, but now we're going to pass over a little section in Matthew, which unfortunately really misses, I think, the connection that's there. Maybe a little unfortunate. I'll just try and fill it in briefly, but we're skipping over Jesus feeding the Gentiles, the feeding of the 4,000, and that's over in Gentile territory. It also skips over the opposition that Jesus faces, not from the Gentiles so much as from the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus rebukes them. Woe to these scribes and Pharisees. He says privately to his disciples, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And that is connected rhetorically to the feedings, to the disciples lacking their bread as they journey on. Um, But we're doing the exact same thing that Rome is doing, and we're doing the exact same thing that the Revised Common Lectionary is doing as well in our LSB version of the three-year, to jump on to the confession of Peter, which certainly is in reaction to all of the things that have been going on in Matthew so far, that Jesus takes a break and asks his disciples, what's the status report, so, so to speak? Who do people say that I am? But really the question Jesus is getting at here is not just what's the report, but have you heard what I've been preaching to you? And, uh, and well, we'll hear what Peter says. So how would you describe the gospel focus of this Sunday's propers? Well, it's a very well-known reading to us. It's the Confession of St. Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
it's also important because the keys are given and with it is the charge that uh, they're not to disclose Jesus' glorious identity yet. That is surprising to us maybe, and especially when we just have this isolated first part of Peter's confession, not the reaction he has a moment later, not the transfiguration that's about to come where Jesus very importantly says, don't tell anybody this vision until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. So it's maybe a little difficult to see, but we'll see in the coming weeks why Jesus doesn't want his identity known yet. Maybe just a back and forth with you, Todd. What do you think about this? We're going to hear Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ and the giving of the keys of the kingdom, but we're not going to hear what immediately follows it, which is Christ's prediction of the passion and the kind of total about face where Peter says, no, that'll never happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, famously. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. I mean, we have Peter's best moment and his worst moment. What do you think about splitting it up like this? I, it doesn't seem natural to me. It seems like, at least in terms of the intent of the author, the narrative, those two are put in stark juxtaposition for some reason. I tend to agree. I think the trouble is it's such a rich moment. I mean, there's a reason it stands out. There's a reason we probably know it well. We even know the this, that, and the other thing that happens there. And all of it probably deserves full treatment. So I don't mind it in this case if the goal of the three-year lectionary is to go from one week to the next. But it really depends on everybody coming back. I couldn't imagine not coming back next week and hearing this. But it gives opportunity, you know, for the person who comes to church this Sunday and for the preacher, frankly, to take it bit by bit, to focus in maybe on the confession of Peter or on Christ's promise about the church or on the keys themselves and what that means. And then we'll have more time to talk about the prediction of the passion and why the cross, not glorious time on earth, but the cross is the center of our theology. What are some connecting themes? Well, we'll see throughout the rest of the readings that salvation, righteousness, the steadfast love, Christ himself, the one whom Peter confesses is there. But maybe in particular, the repeated notion that these are going to endure forever. That unlike the kingdoms of this world and its glories, if we can give a foreshadowing to what's to come next week in the gospel, that pass away so quickly, Christ and his righteousness and his salvation, his love endures forever. And we're going to see that both in what Jesus says in the gospel as well as everything else. And fortunately, even though we've skipped over it in the gospel of Matthew, we haven't missed the continual talk of the nations of the Gentiles, which we have, especially in our Old Testament reading and in some of the Psalms, which in my opinion really would fit with that section we skipped over. But alas, we're moving on. What do we find in the intro it for this coming Sunday? It's taken from, uh, well, an antiphon from Psalm 115, and then a couple other sections from Psalm 2 and Psalm 117. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. The antiphon sets our theme, I think, of forevermore, that we're blessing and confessing him not just now, but forevermore fits with what Jesus says, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. 
But it goes on to words I think are also familiar to us from the Psalms, and these are from Psalm 2, this declaration from the Father that you are my son, today I have begotten you. There's a way in which you could understand that of David, but so much more it's spoken and uttered by the prophet David for the sake of the true son, Christ, who is set on the holy hill eternally, who is in fact the Lord's own anointed and son. And so to put that statement of the Father next to Peter's, you are the Christ, is very nice since Jesus is going to say, it's not flesh and blood, it's not your own conclusions, it's not your own wisdom, Peter, that brought you to this. It's the Father himself who has drawn you, the Father himself who has revealed this to you. So that fits very nicely. I will say, and I have a feeling we're going to skip right over the transfiguration since we focus on it ourselves. I admit I haven't looked ahead that far, but I would almost always connect this text and Psalm 110, these two great Christological psalms, with the transfiguration, this moment where he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So maybe that already is foreshadowing, but slightly off from the great declaration that the father gives. Here, we want to focus in on what Peter has said, and it is fitting to hear the father's voice because these are the same. That's what makes a confession, not that you're coming up with your own creativity, uh, but that you're in fact repeating what is true, what you've received from the counsel of the Lord. How does the Collect for the coming Sunday read? This is an adaptation of an old Collect for a right knowledge of Christ. Almighty God, whom to know is everlasting life, grant us to know your Son, Jesus, to be the way and the truth and the life, that we may boldly confess him to be the Christ and steadfastly walk in the way that leads to eternal life through the same Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is drawn from John 17, 3, I believe. This is everlasting life to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, his son. That's right there up front, that this is the God whom to know is everlasting life. But then it goes on to talk about one of the I am statements from John's gospel, that he is the way and the truth and the life. That's not so directly connected maybe to Peter's confession in the gospel reading. Although I think the truth kind of gets left out sometimes. The way is that early name for the church, and and that's delightful to us to see that Jesus is the way. Therefore, we might have had the name, the way after him, just like a Christian is after Christ. But the truth is what we want to confess. We almost focus more on that word confess, even though it doesn't appear in the gospel reading today, because it's such an important category for us as Christians that we want to echo what the Father has said. We want our faith not to be silent, kept in our heart as a personal comfort, but we want this truth to be known. That's why in the Psalms, for example, It is so natural to speak about the nations and the Gentiles and all those who don't believe about God around Israel because the praise of God resounds so that they may hear it and learn of him also. There's a sense in which, I mean, you see this in our hymns in the Lutheran tradition, they're full of the meat of the truth of God and his ways and the life that he gives us in the forgiveness of sins and the gospel in the doctrine, the teaching of who Jesus is, the answering of all the questions of tell me more about this. If we were to paraphrase what Jesus says in the gospel, that's by design because we want our hymns not only to strengthen us in his truth, 
and to continue in his way, but also we want them to be so rich that they give us the words to speak to others and to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's only natural that what we sing among ourselves, let's be honest, when we're gathered for worship, we don't necessarily expect that all the town is going to join in with what is particular to us. But if they ever were, they would hear so much of the word of God that they would know what they're joining into, that perhaps they may. What has been added to this collect is that phrase, boldly confess him to be the Christ and steadfastly walk to the way that leads to eternal life. So an interesting repurposing of an excellent collect, but for this occasion. And I think it it brings in then much more than just let us know Jesus, let us confess him. Let this also be done in our deeds and in our whole way of life as well. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. We will be in the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 51 after the break. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with Back in Antioch and Back in the Saddle. Timothy joins Paul and Silas, the gospel comes to Philippi, Paul and Silas in jail, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for the word of the Lord endures forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The schools division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. On Good Friday, the sixth day of Holy Week, Jesus relives the creation of man and the fall into sin as he takes on the sins of the world and brings them to their natural conclusions, death. Jesus rests in the tomb on the seventh day of the week, knowing his work is complete. 
just as his father's work was complete on the sixth day when he rested on the seventh. When Jesus rises from the dead, he does so in a world that now has someone who lives beyond death. Jesus inaugurates the new creation with his own resurrection. That's from the Issues Etc., a book of the month for August, The Baptismal River. This Bible study is available from Concordia Publishing House. Their toll-free number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also browse before you buy. Look for The Baptismal River Studying the Sacrament throughout Scripture at our website, issuesetc.org, issuesetc.org. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, the Old Testament reading, Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 6, take us into it. Well, first I should say that we have departed from what the Roman Catholic Church uses in their three-year lectionary. I should say the Revised Common Lectionary departed from the Roman Catholic Church. They had something from Isaiah also, from chapter 22, talking about the calling of Eliakim and the committing of the keys of David's house to him that open and close. Now that has a really obvious connection to the gospel where it talks about giving the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind, whatever you loose. But it certainly could be misunderstood, I suppose, to emphasize a Roman understanding of Peter's role as the rock, as the one, the person even, on whom the whole church is built. Thus, he is the key bearer. He certainly is depicted this way in all artwork because of that. But the Roman teaching that the Bishop of Rome, Peter's seat, is in fact the sole key bearer ultimately and the one on whom the church is built. If we would read on in that passage, we wouldn't really be able to hold that very well. In fact, the Lord dispatches the peg, Eliakim, on whom everything, including the keys, are hanging in that Isaiah 22. No, I mean, the point of this is that there must be somebody else who opens and no one can shut. And of course, we see this in the book of Revelation. This is the key of David. This is the Christ, the one who is opens and no one can shut and, and closes and no one can open. And that's the one of whom we sing in the O Antiphons. We sing it also in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the key of David who opens wide the way to heaven. That's no particular man. That's the man, Jesus Christ. So I I have no problem with that text either. What we have is beautiful as well, maybe not quite as well connected, but let's look at it. Isaiah 51, starting at the beginning of the chapter. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he who was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places, makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving in the voice of song. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. So, uh, doubling back to the beginning of this, 
It asks, are you seeking righteousness? Well, seek the Lord. In fact, seek the one whom all of your fathers have trusted. Abraham trusted in me as the rock. Sarah, who bore you, trusted in me and believed my promise. It was by me that she gave birth in the first place. So seek the one who comforts also and give attention to him. There is a nice connection there with the rock from which you were hewn, since it's the rock of the confession that Peter makes, the, the confession of Christ Jesus and the ministry of his word, the ministry of that confession that actually is what gives us life as well. But notice, his righteousness, even his salvation, is to come and to judge justly in favor of his people, and not his people only, but also even the coastlands, that's the Gentiles, the very regions in which Jesus is doing his work, the ones who hope for him. And notice that everything else will pass away, but the salvation of God, the righteousness of God will last forever. So in other words, the rock of the gospel will last forever. And there's a few other words here I think we want to uh, recognize, and that is when he talks about my arm that will judge the peoples, the one for whom they wait, and when he talks even about that word, my salvation that will endure forever. These are words and names that are titles of Christ Jesus our Lord. He is Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins. In a real sense, the word salvation is the name Jesus. And likewise, he's the holy arm that brought them out of Egypt in Psalm 80 and the one who on whom the Lord places the burden for the sake of his people and their salvation. Let's be careful also with this reading, because just like the reading that the Roman Catholic Church has appointed, this one too could be done to miss the significance of Peter's confession, which we've highlighted in the Collect. This text is less about Christ, or, or would be if we didn't make those connections to salvation and the arm and the rock, and that's not so good, I suppose. But it is more about the righteousness of faith that gives attention to him, that trusts in him, that seeks him, knowing that he's the only one who endures forever. That's very good. And it's about the seeking out his salvation. That's very good. But there's not much in this reading about confessing him. And that could be mixed. So there's a way in which is if this was chosen in reaction to the Roman Catholic Church, who's been very concrete so as to try and limit it down to one man. This reading, I suppose, as a reaction could be a fall off the horse on the other side and miss the, the point that we ought to be confessing this Lord Jesus. We ought to be seeking, in fact, the very places where he connects his salvation and raises his arm up for us which is mentioned by Jesus when he says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, which is the place where this confession of the gospel, this preaching and this rejoicing and sounding back the amen is going on all the time, in which, of course, the center of it is its most concentrated form, the office of the keys, the speaking of the forgiveness of sins, the songs of deliverance that surround us. So, so long as we have that connected, this is a beautiful passage. The appointed psalm is Psalm 138. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of my soul you increased. 
All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they've heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your right hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. You can hear the the right hand mentioned multiple times. This is certainly a title of Christ Jesus, our Lord. But I love that one phrase that's, uh, what is it? Just in the second verse, that you have exalted high above all things, your word and above all your name. So today's reading, especially in the gospel, is all about the interplay of who Jesus is. And I suppose that's a question that asks for a name. And Elijah, one of the prophets, these are the names that other people have thought he might be. But there's more in a name that we ought to recognize. We're looking for the name Jesus because he saves us from our sins. We're looking to say that he is the Christ because he's anointed for this task. We give him the the name, the strong right arm and right hand of God, because that's the hand not only of power, but of blessing. And this is who Jesus is. So we have a confession and we have the word, even singing of his glory. And his glory here is not his power to smash the enemies even so much as it is the glory of his name is the glory of his salvation. And notice it's contrasting all of the things that fall away, the wrath of the enemies, the tribulation that we face, the kings of the earth in their unbelief, because now they've heard the words of God's mouth and they are even being converted to him. But the thing that lasts forever is his steadfast love. It's his love that endures forever. And that's why we treasure this confession of Christ Jesus as the son of the living God the son of the one who endures forever and shows steadfast love to his people. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. He's director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's helping us look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. We will be into the epistle in Romans chapter 11 and 12 after this. Jesus describes baptism as new birth. Dr. Richard Davenport, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. As big a deal as your own birth was, this should be that much and more. Learn more about this new Bible study, The Baptismal River, at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Register today. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through the 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky. The conference includes visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Online registration is open now with early bird pricing at lutheransforlife.org conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org. The days are shortening and it's soon back to school. Ad Crucem has beautiful posters and art to adorn your home school or classroom and we print them right here in our Colorado workshop. 
Come and see our various prints by Cunach, Holbein, Bonat, Tintoretto and Caravaggio. Stock up on our daily prayer posters, creed posters and other beautiful Christ-focused artworks. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Are you tired of those who change their Christian confession because they are ashamed of what they are called to believe in today's world? Scripture is clear on issues which many would like to claim are cultural but have no place in God's church. We at Zion Lutheran in Barris, Wisconsin, and St. Peter Lutheran Clintonville are not embarrassed to boldly confess that Scripture is God's revelation of His Christ, our Savior, the only peace, comfort, and hope in our fallen world. It's why we gather each week to receive Him who comes to us in word and sacrament. For service times, visit zionstpe.com. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. I think every man, every Christian should consider, at least, the possibility of God calling him into the holy ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Carl Fakencher of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Because that's the way that God has designed for faith in Christ Jesus to be spread, for the gift of eternal life that Christ Jesus earned by his death and resurrection to be shared with people by the washing of baptism for infants and for adults, for the instruction, the proclamation of the word that happens uh, on a nonstop basis in God's kingdom. God uses people, he uses men, to be those proclaimers, to be those men who who share the, the sacraments. If you've ever considered becoming a pastor, contact Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Their phone number, 1-800-481-2155, 1-800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Welcome back. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Sean, what do we find in the epistle reading, which is Romans 11, verse 33 through 12, verse 8? Well, it's great. Rome has the end of 11. The Revised Common Lecture has the start of 12. And as usual, the Lutherans want to have more. So we've got both chunks together. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who's been his counselor, or has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, that might sound familiar. That's the end of chapter 11. We've heard this for a long time because it was our gradual. Unfortunately, we abandoned that gradual a few weeks ago in favor of a new one before we quite got there. But that's all right. We'll come back to it. Here's the beginning of 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, 
and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So beginning back at, uh, at the end of chapter 11, we have the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge. They're kind of abstract in the context of Romans, remember. They're the mystery of his election, which can only be known in Christ. And that's how we should understand that enigmatic phrase, from him, to him, through him, in verse 36. And that's probably our best point of connection to the confession of Peter. You are the Christ. That's why we have to cling to you. The mercies have been disclosed. They've been acclaimed by Paul. And so now he beseeches his hearers on behalf of them in chapter 12. And that is that we should be living sacrifices. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you will end up hearing a sermon all its own on this. And I think that's a fine choice. This is a very important passage as kind of a, a seat of the teaching of what the Christian life of love for the neighbor actually looks like, what it means to be regenerate and then to live following after Christ Jesus. We connect it most often to what is said in First Peter, that we are a royal priesthood, holy priests. Usually remember that second part I mentioned earlier about proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's great, but that's not the primary duty of a priest, which is the point of connection that Peter and Paul in both these places are trying to make. The priest offers the liturgy, the worship, and the worship of a priest is two things, sacrificing, all those animals in the Old Testament, and prayers. They bring the incense up before the altar and smoke it up, and together with that then comes the blessing and the preaching, the proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. So what is then our spiritual worship? It is the word liturgy, but it's far beyond just what we do on Sunday morning. Well, as priests, it isn't that we are all preachers or that we're all liturgists in the Sunday morning church service. No, but it is that in all we do daily, in all things, we are presenting ourselves as sacrifices. I think we know how to pray, and Jesus certainly teaches us that. If the other duty of a priest, and we're a part of the royal priesthood under our high priest Christ Jesus, what sacrifices are we to be offering in the New Testament? We're not to be butchering animals, and we're not to be butchering ourselves either. We're not engaging in self-immolation, which some religions do. Rather, we are mortifying our flesh. That would be a good use of the word sacrifice. This is what Paul has said elsewhere, especially in Philippians, that he considers everything else loss in order to have the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus. So the living sacrifices then are not things that we're going to kill ourselves so much. Again, that would be the putting to death the old nature. But it is that we are going to continue alive 
to be of some good to God. And this is every good deed that is conformed to the will of God. This is the holy life that results as a fruit of faith. And I think that's so important to see even in the way Paul says it. I appeal to you, brothers, not by the law, not by your sense of what's right even, but I appeal to you by the mercies of God that this act of offering ourselves as living sacrifices, something that perhaps is never perfect in this side of glory, is an ongoing conforming ourselves not to the world, but to be transformed by the will of God, to strive toward what's acceptable and perfect as a fruit of the faith that we have received. I want to say a little more about this passage. It talks about this discernment, that we're not conformed to this world, I think this is an especially pertinent passage for our time, where it's easy to just kind of go along with what is normal, go along what the flow is, fit in with the rest of whatever's going on, and in a real sense to believe the preachers and the religion that is native to our culture and way of life in America, rather than to conform ourselves and be transformed by this unique power, the only thing that lasts forever, Christ Jesus and his gospel. And then it talks about being transformed in this way, having our minds renewed by his word and his gospel, that we may test and discern what the will of God is, good, acceptable, and perfect. We should talk about that discernment because sometimes I think we hear this and it seems as if, okay, the renewal, the transforming happens once, I guess we're saved, and now it's on to us to figure it out. Now it's on us maybe to make up our own minds about this, that, and the other thing. That's not what he's getting at here. This is significant. So we don't misunderstand the nature of that binding in heaven and earth that we're about to hear. Some people have proposed it goes like this. Now that we're Christians, God binds himself to whatever we decide. And there's a way in which the Roman church has done this and kind of said, you know, if we as the church, as the ministerium, the Pope in particular, decide we want to change something, God will listen. Thus, the, the church is the seat of all doctrine. In the end, the word of God can be altered if necessary or expanded upon by divine right, because the divine right rests in the ministers, the ministerium, rather than in his word itself. Or you can do it the other way in the kind of the evangelical word faith movement, where God is and all of reality is bound to our kind of positive statements. The power of positive thinking with a little bit of love of the Bible connected to it yields this idea that we should go around kind of just speaking the realities we choose into existence. Highly dangerous because it ignores the way our flesh is, that indeed there is some pain in the sacrifice that is living, which is a putting to death of the old nature. The discerning is to come to things that are acceptable and good and perfect, as perfect and acceptable and good as God himself and his will. And that is what our flesh sets itself against. Therefore, we're always praying, like in Lord's Prayer, your will be done, not mine. Forgive us our trespasses. So we don't want to understand this binding that the church is given as God is bound to our ideas like some genie, or as if the church was the tail that wags God's dog. And I think we can clear up in what comes after, right? Notice the kinds of discernment that Paul brings up by specific mention. 
humility, sober judgment, discerning that actually I shouldn't run around with the attitude that I'm smarter than everybody else or that I'm more powerful than everybody else, but just the opposite, that I should recognize what is so appropriate to each Christian. And then he goes into working together. And notice, working not equally, but working, I'm a musician, I got to use this word, contrapuntally, that all of these various voices, which do different things, some of us are teachers, some of us are contributors, some of us are leaders, some of us are serving with acts of mercy, but each works together to make a symphony of beautiful life, beautiful sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord on account of faith in Christ Jesus. I think it's for some of these, they seem kind of silly, right? Let us use these gifts. So if you're a teacher, why don't you teach? If you're a exhorter, why don't you exhort? It's like, you really have to say this. You're just telling us to do what the name of the job is, farmer's farm, etc. Well, notice how Paul is emphasizing the appropriateness. What is fitting to everyone's calling, what is fitting to everyone's gifts and purpose, that is what they ought to do. That's how we all fit together in the church and work together. This is the kind of appropriate, reasonable living sacrifice that Paul has in mind. That's what flows out of faith. That's the kind of discernment we're looking for, not one that claims God's world and presumes to become a sort of God and master over it, but one that is truly doing this for the purpose of love. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Pastor Denzer is a graduate of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. For information on studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess, visit ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. We'll get into the gradual and verse for the 13th Sunday after Pentecost, leading to the gospel reading in Matthew 16. It is the sentence of this court that Theseus Cyprianus be executed with the sword. Cyprian, thanks be to God. Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod President Pastor Matt Harrison speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. So, I would rather lay down on this spot and have my head chopped off than give up the Word of God. But with that strong, biblically informed conscience, I shall face my day and age you shall face this day and age. We will confess Christ, no matter what we face, and we will bear witness to a better way in Jesus. Come what may. Amen. You can watch and listen to Pastor Matt Harrison making the case for the Lutheran option from the 2023 Making the Case Conference for a $300 gift by Labor Day. You can access an on-demand video stream or download a podcast of the entire conference. Order today at issuesetc.org. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, 
books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. When you hear the word heresy, what do you think of? Do you think of some ancient debate the church has gotten over and forgotten? Do you think of some stubby old theologians just arguing over things that don't matter? There's a lot more to heresies than you might think. And that's what the August issue of The Lutheran Witness is all about. Heresies, ancient and modern. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website, witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, what do we find in the gradual and the verse for this coming Sunday? The gradual, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Maybe a bit of a miss with the gospel. In the multi-week scheme, though, it definitely fits. We need the bold confession and this rock, Jesus Christ and the confession of his name, in order to know how it is that we are going to be delivered, how it is that we can be fearless and know that we lack nothing, even when it seems very much that we are afflicted and lacking many things. That certainly is what we'll see in the readings before and after this in the weeks to come. The verse then is special for today, and it's a very interesting choice. It's not from the Psalms. It's from Ephesians again. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I very much like this passage. It definitely is a change from the way the Alleluia verses often function historically. But it is nice to have this beautiful passage set alongside everything else we're saying today. And I have to say, if you use Divine Service Setting 1 or Setting 2 from Lutheran Service Book, and you only have ever used that common Alleluia, actually it's going to fit very well also with today. You'll hear Peter saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Who should we go to other than you? The understood answer is, well, there's nowhere else we can go. We have to go to you. Why? Because he is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He's the one who builds his church, the one who will keep it all going. On that rock metaphor, the rock on which Christ built his church, we have that kind of expanded here. The rock, the foundation is the prophets and the apostles, by which we mean not only their persons, but especially their writings. The scriptures themselves would be a fine summary of that too. And Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone or the keystone in whom the whole structure is held together. And Ephesians as a book has the Gentiles and the Jews in the background, which is subtle, but likely not unintentional. I'm sad that we've cut that kind of Jewish-Gentile connection out of our Matthew passage again, but we see that he is uniting Jews and Gentiles in Christ Jesus to bring them all into one spiritual household, one spiritual priesthood, if we want to borrow from the epistle today. And it does introduce, I think, the conundrum of today's gospel in trying to decide how do we want to label this rock on which the church is built. Do we want to say that Christ is the rock? That's 
kind of what sells elsewhere. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the chief stone. So Jesus is the rock, I guess. Or do we want to say that the word, that which testifies to Christ is the rock? That's kind of the way it is to have prophets and apostles of what you're built upon. Or is it the act or the ministry or the act of confessing Christ and its content? Or is it even the persons themselves foundationally who are confessing it, Peter and all the apostles and the prophets? So, I mean, I think the answer is kind of a yes to all of this working together in its place. Ephesians is not trying to say that the foundations, the apostles and prophets, therefore, this is rejecting the other famous statement that no one can build upon any foundation except the foundation already laid, which is Jesus Christ. No, as we see, these are various metaphors all surrounding the building and Christ is indispensable to it. And everything that is built upon him then also becomes an indispensable part of the whole structure built together, growing into Christ Jesus. That leads us to the gospel reading in Matthew chapter 16. Take us through it. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the gospel of the Lord. This one seems like a strange ending there. As we mentioned, there's something more to be said. But we have the same trouble on transfiguration that he doesn't want them to tell everybody that way. It's connected to this flesh and blood matter. If we had what we skipped, we would see in stark contrast the believers and the unbelievers here, the differing reactions to Christ that appear throughout Matthew uh, and how much the Pharisees in particular do not believe and refuse to believe. But it's in that context that this question arises. And this question, as many have pointed out, is what continues to arise whenever any person is confronted with Jesus, with the scriptures. Who is this man? What do you do with this historical figure? Is he a reincarnation of some ancient prophet? Is he a prophet-like figure? Is he a challenger? Is he just another revolutionary? Or is he the Messiah? Is he the anointed one of God? Is he the one who has that all-encompassing title, Christ, that even surpasses prophet and priest and king? And the answer is yes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Living God, I, I love this little nod, given all of the dead people would just mention, right? John the Baptist beheaded, Elijah hasn't come back yet, Jeremiah martyred. No, the living God means they are all alive in him. Jesus is no servant of the living God only. He is his very son. He is God of God and light of light. And the living God is a phrase that's used many places in the Old Testament. The living God is the one who speaks out of the fire, Moses says in Deuteronomy. All over the Old Testament, the objection of the people of Israel is that 
the enemies, the Gentiles, are mocking the living God. So David in particular says, what are you doing letting Goliath mock the living God, defy the Lord? Let's go after him, right? Daniel is called the servant of the living God. And remember, there was somebody else in there with him, one who looked like a son of man. Likewise, in the Psalms, this is the object of faith, that our soul longs and thirsts after the living God. So a beautiful little title that Peter, by the Father's inspiration, has actually uttered. And then we hear that he is called blessed. I think we're remembering back to the Beatitudes. Maybe we want to add this as a Beatitude. Blessed is the one who says, who recognizes and acknowledges Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. We talked briefly about being confronted with Jesus, and we have this reaction. We have a choice, a decision to make about who Jesus is. And even though that language is used, I think it's easy to see from this gospel that human weakness, flesh and blood, is not able to reveal this but God himself. No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him, is what John says. In other words, we shouldn't be confused by this reality of the word coming and calling upon all of us to give an answer. Who is Jesus? We shouldn't assume that this means we have the power to choose him, but to be confronted with Jesus is the means by which the Holy Spirit is at work in the word of God to call us to faith, to believe in him, after which we must choose to stand with him, which I think we saw in some of our other readings. And maybe most blessed of all, and a nice lead into our hymn of the day, the church is going to endure to the end. This is kind of the seat of the doctrine of the continuity of the church. That It's true. Churches may disappear here and there. There is no longer a church in Antioch, not the same continuous church that was there in the, in the New Testament era. Likewise, we don't know if our synod will exist forever under the same name or in the same place. But we know that the church, the Christian church will continue. There will always be some Christians, and they live together with prophets and apostles and all those who've gone before and all who continue in the communion of saints, which is our understanding of what the church is. And notice Jesus calls it his church. This is the place where the word church comes into use, and Jesus is the one who chose it, this kind of secular term. Uh, he didn't call us a temple. He didn't call us a royal priesthood in this case, but he used this special word church, this gathering, this calling people out to be together, gathered around him and his word. This is who his group is, and he says that he's the one who's going to build it. It's not dependent on us, but it is in fact dependent on him. That's why the confession of his name is the rock on which it is built. Would you say anything about the hymn of the day built on the rock? This hymn by uh, Nikolai Grundtvig is uh, a Danish hymn. It's nice to have something a little different from just the German heritage that's obviously central to the Lutheran history, although we have so many hymns in every language now. This is uh, Denmark's uh, contribution, and it is a beautiful hymn. It definitely seems to say that Christ is the rock, but I think also you could sub in the confession of his name just as easily. It's contrasting the church that lives forever, even though temples, individual churches, the glory, humanly speaking, of the church may fade, yet where two or three are gathered in his name, 
the Christ, the son of the living God, then he is there and chooses to live with us and make even our bodies his temple, the place of living sacrifice. Ooh, nice way to connect all of our readings together in this hymn. Then I think you want to see in particular the beautiful way it rehearses all of the means of God's grace by which this confession is nurtured. The font that received us in baptism, the altar that recalls Christ's death and gives us now the fruits of that death in the Lord's Supper, and the scriptures that proclaim Christ, the Son of the living God, who never changes. That's why we want to stick with him, even if uh, there are no church bells. But while there are, we want to hear this message. We want to be nourished in this faith so that we also will be drawn by the Father to confess with Peter, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thanks. Have a blessed day. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Peter Bender about Jesus healing a deaf man in Mark chapter 7, and its media coverage of religion with journalist Terry Mattingly. Jesus has proven good to his promise. He has and continues to build his church on that solid confession of himself as the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.